Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing the Shadow and Bone trilogy by E. Barduga. So this is a trilogy that was published between 2012 and 2014. The first book is Shadow and Bone, the second is Siege and Storm, and the third is Ruin and Rising. This trilogy was the first series in the Grisha universe. So there are no more books in this series focusing on the main characters, but there are subsequent books within the same universe that take place in the same timeline with characters who appear in these books. Yes, and this is young adult fantasy, which I feel like when you say young adult fantasy, the first thing people think about on our romance podcast is Twilight. I have mixed feelings about this even being classified as young adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're young adult because they're, they're 17, right? Well, they're, I think you're right. I think the fact that they're young yeah. is part of it. But I think the themes in the text, especially, are much more mature than you typically see in young adult. I think the word choices, like the overall age of like the vocabulary, you know how like AR rates a book as to like what grade it can be read at. I think mm-hmm. that's young adult. Like I think mm-hmm. this probably grades at middle school, high school, like reading level. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the the themes that are dealt with and the narrative construction is a lot more mature. And I, I've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before, that I do think a lot of times female authors, especially writing in fantasy end up lumped in to young adult Mm -hmm. because they don't match the typical fantasy narrative structure that's typically like one written by male authors and two very violent very explicit and very focused on world building Mm -hmm. and so i think what set the standard for adult fantasy has inherently made these seem like young adult books when the reality is, is I wouldn't argue one is any more mature or written at a higher level than the other beyond the fact that the ones written by a lot of male authors are more graphic. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. Usually we read the book jacket, but because we're talking about three books today, um, this was published as a set. And so we have the blurb from the back of that set. I'll I'll go ahead and read it. The original fantasy saga from number one New York Times bestselling author Lee Bardugo, the Shadow and Bone trilogy is the story of Alina Starkov, a soldier in the kingdom of Ravka, who discovers she possesses magical abilities. Training with the Grisha, her country's magical military elite, Alina falls under the spell of their notorious leader, the Darkling. He believes she is the only one with the power to defeat the forces threatening the kingdom, Forces that will test old alliances and challenge the very limits of magic. One that will forge a leader from a frightened girl. It's not, you know what, for a full series where you can't have any spoilers about any of the books, it's not not too bad. Right. So the bare bones expounding on this. Ravka is pretty clearly a fantasy world inspired by Russia, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the things I love the most about this series. It's not just like fake England times. Mm-hmm. There's actually mm-hmm. thought put into building a unique culture based on a different culture, ethnic group. 
And subsequent books in the series are kind of Amsterdam-based, and there's more that's Russian-based. So anyway, I just, I really like sort of the Slavic influence that you see throughout the text. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. And um, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or talk about it later, but I was, have always been interested to know, like, how much research she did, you mm -hmm. know? Like, is this based on Russian fairy tales? Is this based on just looking up some Google words, you know, some Google Translate? Right. I don't know. Me um, either. It's very interesting to me to think about. Um, I just read another fantasy series that's very explicitly based in Russia. It's actually supposed to be in medieval Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and reading that, I, it made me think of this a little bit because I was like, hmm, I wonder what these two authors were thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think this one has very much actual historical influence. Right. Uh, but just from, as Meg was saying, like the construction of words, Mm -hmm. You can really see the descri descriptions of architecture, discussions of religious imagery. There's, there's a clear desire to evoke mm -hmm. old Russia. Yeah, they have lots of, lots of different saints. They have icons that they, you know, carry or pray to. Uh, and then just a lot of vocabulary. So they, you know. And the main religious leader who's at the right hand of the king, to me, sounds very Rasputin-y. Oh, Yes, he does. I agree with that for sure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's like, he's like the Rasputin, but not historical Rasputin. He's like Rasputin from, um, the movie. Anastasia? I, yes. I was like the movie, but Anastasia, what's that called? Anastasia. <laughs> that would be the movie. So he's, he's this devout, but eccentric, a big bearded, like crazy looking scares the shit out of her because he's just so intense like yeah oh and for you as a reader too i think you're kind of like okay do you do, should we trust this guy should we not trust this guy I, he's a very ambiguous figure yes for you as a reader so there's a couple of romance typical tropes in this text so like one they're alina the main character and mal her best friend from childhood and subsequent lover Mm -hmm. are both sad, tragic orphans. Their parents were killed in an earlier war. And they meet in this orphanage, and then from the moment they meet each other, they're just everything to each other. And it's not romantic when they're little, and that actually works out really well in the text. Like, mm -hmm. Mal takes forever to figure out that it's actually romantic sentiment. Mm -hmm. But they're very clearly... And then explicitly later in the series, destined to know each other. Yes. Yup. Yup. At first, it's just like, oh, we, we were each other's everything growing up together. And then it was like, oh, can we actually be everything to each other? And then it's like, um, yeah, better be. <laughs> Pretty much. He definitely gets a taste of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Mm hmm so then, of course, he has to come back for her, and they run away together, and they, like, live in disguise. This is, which is so much fun. That's so nice. But, of course, it can't last. Because then there's a, I mean, it's not, and then there's a, there is a love triangle slash love quadrangle, love square. But, I don't know. I didn't really ever feel any worry no 
that she was ending up with anyone other than her soulmate from childhood. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I feel like, and I, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if I'm just a person who's like, yeah, I believe whatever the author tells me and I'm just going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like, I, I'm not like super into writing fan fiction or I'm like, Oh, what if Elizabeth married Mr. Collins? You know, right. like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not that kind of person. Um, but like when you read Twilight, did you ever think that Bella was going to end up with anyone other than Edward? Like, did you actually, did anyone actually think that there was any chance that she would be with Jacob? No. No. You know, and it's just, for me, it's the same thing here. Like, was there really, I, I know there are, there are people out there who are like, why didn't Elena end up with this dude? You know? And I think some of that is, especially like pulling into the twilight parallel it's not necessarily about what you think would have happened or Mm -hmm. like what that the author intended to do it's as a reader you think the alternate character would be better for the main character who you've grown so attached to darkly ain't better for nobody Mm -hmm. he sucks yeah i was gonna say that's fair because yeah i can definitely people see people being like well jacob would have been a little better for bella well, and I could see arguments in this text that Nikolai and Alina may have had a good relationship. I was team Mal all the time. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I was going to say, you were team Mal, but if you were Alina, you might have been like, hmm, Nikolai. It's less that. It's more, well, we'll get into it. But this book really does end up being about like identity mm-hmm. in terms of identity as self and identity in terms of who and what you pick to have in your life. Yeah. And I think if Alina wanted different things, Nikolai might have better, better choice. Right. Like Mal and Nikolai are both good people. Yeah. Mal is clearly her soulmate. Right. But they present very different futures. Yes. The Darkling is just a piece of shit. Yeah. So I know we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves and we haven't really gotten into the plot, but the Cliff Notes version of this part is Alina and Mal get drafted into the army after they leave their little orphanage. And the Darkling is like the most powerful magic person in Ravka. And so he has a yeah. lot of power and he leads the magical arm of the Ravkin military. And his power and he's the only magician, magic fighter in the world who can make dark manifest, pretty much. Right. And there's been a series of darklings over the last few centuries, and one of the evil ones in the past used his power, and whether intentionally or accidentally, it's sort of vague, engulfed part of the land permanently in dark. Yeah. And so that, it's called this, the Unsee. The Unsee. Which I, I actually love that she calls it the unsee because first of all, it's, it's a sea of darkness. So it's like a non-sea. It's like the, the opposite of a, an ocean, right? The opposite yep. of sea. So it's a, the unsee. But also you can't see anything. So, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. I was like, it oh, was, that was nice. She does a lot of great things with wordplay in this yeah. text. But so the darkling historically and now manifest dark some of the land has been permanently plagued by this dark the unsee has become a liability to the ravkin defense it's taken over and eliminated several important towns Mm -hmm. 
And so Alina, it becomes apparent very early in the first book, has the power to summon light. Right. So she is the exact opposite. Of course, the most powerful magician army in the world, guys, like, yeah, you come, I'm going to train you. We're going to help Ravka together. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy. His name's the Darkling. Fun fact. His name's the um, Darkling. His name's the Darkling. I will say, I will say this is, a, in my opinion, a misstep for the name because I just kept thinking Duckling. Ooh, didn't, that didn't occur to me, but you're right. That is not a scary thing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, the Darkling. <laughs> But so, but he has a real enough to do though. One, while she is off in magic training, the Darkling is whispering all these sweet nothings in her ear about her power and what they'll achieve together. She's not speaking to Mal. They've been cut off from one another. Oh, romance trope. The letters never arrived. She's been writing him letters all the time over and over. And he never, and he's been writing her some. Well, she's like, he's never written me back. He's right. totally abandoned me. I have no friends. I guess I should trust this hot dude. Well, especially now that this is a major trope in all kinds of literature, Alina is like the one. She's yeah. the Neo in the Matrix. She's like the hope for all of humankind. Right. And so the Darkling is like the closest person to her in mm-hmm. terms of power and importance becomes a really central figure for her. Yeah. And so I told Meg she should read these books. Yes. So Elaine was like, Meg, you should read these books. They're really good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I, at this point we had traded several book recommendations and I was like, okay, I trust her. I trust her on this. I started reading it and I was like, Ugh. I was like, fuck this. She's going to end up with a Darkling. Um, like he's, yes, he's an ambiguous character, but you don't know if he's bad or not in, in the beginning of the book. And Mal is not on the page at all. Like you don't see him. And I'm like, of course, I didn't think that he wasn't writing to her, but I didn't think that it was like malicious. I was like, oh, you know, whatever. He's in the army. And I was like, God damn it. I was like, she's going to end up with this dude who is much older than her. and. I'm just sick of this. I'm just sick of these old dudes finding these young women, like training them, and then they fall in love because the whole thing just really bugs me. But then she doesn't. She like knees him on the balls and runs away, which is awesome. It's amazing. But so then there is a more viable romantic alternative who's introduced in the second and third book. And that's one of the princes Mm -hmm. of the kingdom who is sort of commanding a lot of the human part of the army. The re- yeah, well, and then the resistance, too. And the, Well, and the resistance, right, but, like, human fighters. Yes. And obviously, he comes to really like Alina, mm-hmm. but they're also powerful in different ways, and there'd potentially be an advantage to the nation if they were to ally. Yeah, he's, this, so this could be the other romance trope of the marriage of convenience, right. where... They're like, okay, fine, we'll like get together and then they fall in love later. But of course, by this time, I was like, nah, nah, she's not going to leave Mal. No, because at this point, she and Mal had done the sharing body heat by a fire thing. They ran away together to a whole different city-state. Yeah. So I think one of the things I like the most about this book, it's really, the romance isn't super central to it, right? So like Meg was saying, Mal's not on the page for two thirds of the first book. Mm-hmm. She's really going through her own identity and growth. But one of the choices I think it was really interesting that Lee Mar- 
Lee Bardugo made is the Alina is unexpectedly found to be the Sun Summoner. Mm -hmm. And in this society that tests people for magic abilities really young, like this shouldn't happen, right? Like it shouldn't be unexpected. And it's revealed in the text that basically Alina, who'd never known home, who'd never known stability, finally found Mal. And when they came to test her, she became aware before the test happened that if one of them were found to have magical abilities, they would be separated. Mm -hmm. And so she pretty much consciously chose to repress her power so that they wouldn't take her away. And that had lingering physical effects that were negative on her her entire life until she started figuring out how to use her power. And then once she kind of accepted the power and who she was, having to go back into hiding would make her sickly again because Mm -hmm. she couldn't use her power while they were in hiding. And she's grappling with the fact that these magical Grisha, they're called, aren't mortal. They're not, they don't live forever, but they live a lot longer than people. Yeah. And so not only is she thinking about what loving Mal sort of made her do, not in a conscious sense, like he didn't force her to, but also thinking about the very different paths they're on in both a literal sense of like, she is now like an all powerful, basically deity within their society, but also the very real, like, I'm going to watch you live and die. Yeah. Well, and he too, he suffers from the romance hero, I'm not good enough for you syndrome. So of course he basically abandons her in her hour of need because he thinks that he's not who she needs. That said, he might physically not be present, but he's never not working for her. This is the only example of tattoo in literature that I fucking loved. (laughs) And it is such a trope. The like, we've talked before about like the physical proof of love, devotion, and affection. He's not even meaning to show it to her. And Mm -hmm. she figures out that he has like literally covered his body with proof that she owns him. Mm Mm-hmm. Crazy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. But the book, the story really is, I know we talk about the romance adjacent part more because that's what we do on this podcast. The book really is about the balance between the magical and the human within this country on the verge of war combined with a need to, like a, a power struggle between mm-hmm. the different countries and the different factions within those countries and this sort of one unexpected girl's place in all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, I think it is very young adult. It's very, yeah. you know, coming of age. Um, and it's very, it's, it's that young adult fantasy fulfillment a little bit where mm-hmm. uh, they're going to discover me and I'm going to be the one who's really important. So, you know, I do think it fits in to the young adult. Yeah, I guess it's like finding yourself coming of age sense. But I also, I've I've been thinking about lately, kind of living in this time of social upheaval and hopefully pushing for permanent social change and reflecting back on other times in society, whether it be through war or protest or other forms of civic engagement, how much like 
society is led by the young. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the vast majority of people at these protests and the vast majority of protests are organized by college kids. Yeah. And like the repercussions for our society because of these choices that have been made are massive. And so to me, the characters in this book remind me more of that of adults making choices to change their society for subsequent generations than what I view as young adult, which to me is typically, I guess thematically less challenging. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. I... I personally found it to fit really well in that if you're going to call it a young adult or whatever, mm-hmm. buildings roll on, coming of age, whatever. Um, to me, that's what it was. Although I did find, I don't, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the end? Like I found the ending. How did you, how did you take it? I personally was like kind of depressed by the end. They're like they're not even 20 for me i'm like they're not even like 20 years old and basically they're like all right best times of our life are behind us now oh i didn't take it that way <sighs> i think there's so many different ways to take the ending yeah like on the one hand you can look at it as one person making a huge sacrifice for the betterment of humanity Mm-hmm. even though they get to benefit from it. And you kind of, if you think back to what little girl Alina wanted when she was refusing to make her powers known to the test when she was a kid, like that little girl's happy ending is the ending Alina gets. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think that if they, if she and Mal like went on a long honeymoon and like traveled around the world or something, I think I could have taken it better. They might. I know. I hope they do. Because yeah. basically it ends up where it ends up where they were before they started everything. Except not living in a country on the verge of war engulfed by the shadow fold controlled by a black heretic. Right, but I don't know. I don't know. I and I'm not saying that the ending was bad. I'm actually not saying the ending was bad because maybe this was 100% the most appropriate ending for this book. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was out of character. I didn't feel like it was out of line. This may be the romance fan in me wanting like the happy, the happily ever after ending. Yeah. And this is definitely a bittersweet ending. Yes. Like this is a true fantasy war narrative even the happiest of endings come at a cost. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just telling you how I felt when yeah, I read it, which was, like, definitely, sad. it is not just a, like, satisfying, oh, yay, ending. No. I like it. Mm-hmm. I but. like it. But it's, this is, for me, it's not one that I'm going to, like, reread over and over to get to that ending. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. Oh, I know you do. I'm just saying, for me. Yeah. It's, it's a little rough. For me, it's a little rough. 
fair enough. But I will, I think these are really interesting, worth reading. The different series within this universe are all really distinct. Yeah. And I like sort of the different feel that each of them has, both in terms of place and in terms of narrative. And I would say of all of her books in this universe, this series is the most like character study -y. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. Um, I think it's interesting. Every single one of the books, all of them are all from Alina's perspective. Like you, you get nothing out of her perspective except for like the little fairy tale beginning and ending. Once upon a time, there was a girl, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and actually the ending t goes back to that sort of. I think the ending of each book takes you back to that too. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, when you're in the narrative, you're in her head, you're in Alina's head. And so you see her thoughts, you see her perspective, you see her growing and changing. Um, so I agree. I think this is really focused. Like a lot happens in these books. There's a whole war going on. Right. Um, so a lot happens, but I agree that it's, it's more character growth than plot based. Yes, whereas the second series is sort of an Ocean's Eleven team heist, very plot action driven. Yeah, exactly. And the third is still ongoing, so I'm not quite sure how I'm going to reflect back on it, but it's definitely... It's the most like the consequences of our actions. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually waiting to start the last one because it's not finished yet. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to hold off until it's all published and then I'll read it. Yeah. So just in case anyone else is interested, the second series is the Six of Crows duology. And then currently there's a King of Stars. I, have, I think it's going to be another duology, but it might not be. But when King of Scars was published, I did not have the impression it was part of a series. And then the ending is very abrupt. Oh, I remember because you were like, I can't wait to read this book. And then like two days later, I saw you and you were like, I can't, I didn't know it was going to be in a series. I'm so annoyed. So I was like, you know what? I'm holding off. Yeah, it was, it wasn't a place you want to leave anyone hanging. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you enjoy fantasy if you enjoy world building, if you enjoy character studies, if you enjoy coming of age novels. And if you, like us, are completely sick of the older mentor character, man, falling in love with the younger, you know, coming of age Especially woman. Especially when he has like ambiguous motives and she's supposed to save his soul. And you're like completely, completely sick of it the way we are. Read this book because it is such a palate cleanser. Seriously. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening and we will talk to you next time.